rocks in the wood. The trees have all been cut down, and where once they stood, not even a wagon rut appears along the path. Low brush is taking over. In the wood, this is the aftermath of afternoons in the clover fields where we once made love, then wandered home together where the trees arched above. Where we When branches were the sky, now they are gone for good, and you for ill, and I am only a passerby. We and the trees and the way. Fields of play lasted as long as we could. No more walks in the woods. Welcome to political musings. Here we are on this Monday. It's a dreary Monday here in North Texas. But we got a great show. What you just heard was the Eagles from the album Long Road Out of Eden, No More Walks in the Woods. Today I've got a great guest. My guest today is Ernest Leinberger. He is running for Texas Congressional District 26. Welcome to the show, Ernest. That's right, Amy. Thank you very much. I, I was afraid you had a different guest there for a minute, and you said you had a great one. But I uh, <laughs> appreciate you having me here. Yes, I'm running for the United States House of Representatives uh, seat for Congressional District 26 here in Texas. Uh, pretty excited about it. It's a big district with a lot going on. Well, tell me a little bit about the district. Where Where is it located and... Uh, uh, what are some of the defining features of the district? Sure. Yes, it's an area we call North Texas. Um, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth is uh, the, the biggest cities in, in North Texas, but my district has neither of those. Uh, it starts with Carrollton in the southeast corner and goes north all the way to the Red River and then uh, west all the way to the other side of Decatur, which is north of Fort Worth. There's Four counties uh, with at least a portion in there. Denton County has a portion. Uh, we have all of Cook County and part of Wise County and a teeny tiny bit of Tarrant County that I think uh, there aren't any real voters in there. Might have got two votes uh, from that part of the district. So it's mostly uh, Denton County has the largest cities, Louisville, Flower Mound, uh, and then 
There's an awful lot more you can name. Gainesville in Cook County. In Cook County. Uh, let's see. Uh, Wise County, I think maybe Decatur might be the biggest city there. And uh, so if you look at it geographically, it's mostly rural. Uh, if you look at it uh, population-wise, uh, it's mostly urban. Uh, so it's kind of got a lot of contrast to it. There's well, 800 and some thousand voters, so that's a lot of people to reach out to. Uh, for the last 20 terms, that's 40 years, there's been a Republican holding this office. Uh, the Republican in the office uh, today has announced his retirement and is not on the ballot. Uh, I am unopposed on the Democratic side, and there are 11 uh, people on the Republican side that will go through the primary process to find out uh, who I will oppose in November. You know, most of the time that I have been living here in Denton County, I was in Congressional District 26, and Congressional District 26, for the most part, was most of Denton County with a teeny bit of Tarrant County. But redistricting happened in 2020, or 2021, actually, after the 2020 census. And guess what? I'm no longer in 26. I am now in... Congressional District 13, which encompasses 38 different counties and goes all the way from the North DFW area all the way to the Panhandle because they really did us a number. They, they took that 26 and spread it across four counties instead of mostly in one with a little bit of another, and they took mine and just it just put me in another district that they created newly. Uh, it's going to be an interesting state convention. I keep trying to talk myself out of going. You know, the redistricting issue, uh, I think everybody complains about it on all political parties, and uh, there's nothing really reasonable about it. Uh, if I had a say in what we were going to do with redistricting, with maybe a new set of guidelines on how, how it must be done, I would suggest that each state has to select a geometrical form, some polygon, like a rectangle or a octagon or a hexagon, uh, and place that over their map, and, and that, that would be their districts if they needed to resize them somewhat to have the right number of people in the districts uh, that might work but instead of all these odd shapes with little uh, flags going here and there and cuts and and whatever they're doing to the districts nowadays I think it just needs to be a little more simpler so that it's not you're actually selecting this group of voters you don't want to be in this district for a certain reason or not yeah uh, making it there, there's just um, right now we've got the politicians picking their voters as opposed to the other way around. Right. And uh, one of the things that they've done at our state convention here in Texas is starting this year, instead of meeting by Senate districts, which was already 
kind of messed up if you lived in Senate District 30, me. Uh, and now we're going to congressional districts. So you're going to have, in your district, you'll have four different counties that have to caucus each time y'all take a vote and do math and then report. I'm going to have 38 different counties caucus, vote, do math, report, and then, of course, the people running the meetings, they have to do math. <laughs> After every vote, that's going to be insane. And it's in El Paso in June because everybody wants to go to El Paso in June. <laughs> I, I have been in El Paso in June. When I uh, first graduated college, I was in a Navy ROTC uh, scholarship system, and I had to move from Los Angeles to Florida to go to my Navy nuclear power school. And I had my 62 Comet that I drove all the way across country, mostly on I-10, and I had planned out like 500 miles a day going at the 55-mile-an-hour nationwide speed limit. And I think it was day two or three, I finally made it to El Paso. And by then, I had learned to get up at midnight and drive to about noon and then pull over, go to the hotel pool and try to get some sleep and uh, keep going that way because my car didn't have air conditioning. But uh, those those were the days. It's a little different now. But I do recall it, it was warm in June on around I-10. Well, and it ha certainly hasn't gotten any cooler since then. So what year was that? 1980. 1980. And uh, where were you living with, uh, when you made that kind of cross-country trek? So I had gone to uh, college at USC in Los Angeles, University of Southern California. And uh, back then, uh, a lot of people knew about us because we'd been to the Rose Bowl three out of the four years I was there. And that was always fun, go to the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl and like that. But uh, let's see, so I was moving from there. Uh, I was, uh, my parents were divorced and I was mostly living where I was living. Uh, my mom was in Los Angeles, I mean, Monterey, California, and my dad was in uh, Arizona. He'd moved around a little bit, maybe Flagstaff, Arizona at that point. And, uh, and I drove across I-10 all the way to Orlando, Florida. And that was my first post-college Navy duty station. And that was a educational type thing to learn all the book learning about Navy nuclear power. And then after that, uh, in December of 1980, I moved to upstate New York, a place called Ballston Spa. And it was pretty cold. They're talking about how cold it is now. But I remember one day I had a minus 65 degree day and I went out of my uh, rented uh, mobile home and uh, got in the car and coming from California, I didn't have all the uh, electrical outlet to heat the inside of the motor of the car and that kind of thing. So right. I had rigged a little spotlight underneath the oil pan thinking that might help a little bit. But uh, <laughs> I turned the... Well, just getting in the car, the door opened, but when I sat on the seat, it was like sitting on a concrete bench. It didn't have any <laughs> give at all. And when I turned the key, it uh, 
it just sounded like if motors could cuss, that's what it would say with all the noises it was making. But it ran and it got me there. So those were the days. I can't even imagine. You know, I've lived my entire life in Texas. Uh, and uh, if there's even the possibility of ice and snow, Texas shuts down. We just shut the whole state down. <laughs> or at least anywhere where there's going to be ice or snow. But we have uh, all these beautiful flyovers on, on the freeways and stuff. Uh, I used to live in Flower Mound, and my work at Texas Instruments is at 75 and 635. And I had a route where it had very few overpasses, and they were flat and straight. I think it was mostly Beltline. There was one place where you had to climb a little bit of a hill on Beltline, and you just got up some momentum and hoped for the best. Uh, but, uh, no, we have all these beautiful flyovers and freeways that you never know if, if there's ground underneath the freeway or you're going over some just airspace, and it is just very dangerous in the icy conditions. Yes, that that is quite true. I remember when they changed the interchange at Central Expressway and LBJ from the kind that kind of made a, a clover leaf. Mm -hmm. There was grass, you know, and earth on either side of the road to these five-story high, two-lane wide, narrow, 90-degree turns from one freeway to the other. And I thought, who designed these? Do they not know we get, you know freezes we get black ice and you have to go uphill and then downhill on those and if you get part the way up and you don't get all the way up you're a big problem but if you get over the crest and then you find there's a problem you can get out of the way not yeah. much you can do <laughs> i i mean before they did that and put it because there's there's several places now in the metroplex where they have those icy curves that make no sense to me. Um, I, do they just, like, import people from other places to design these that have no concept? I don't you know. I think it's more the math of this will be perfect 99% of the time. Now, when I first, uh, well, I retired from the Navy in 95, and I was looking for a job, and in 96, I came out here for a job fair. Uh, some headhunter that I had hooked up with was really good at helping me find things, and there was a hotel that was pretty near the south of the airport, and we went there, and I came with, like, short sleeves and shorts. It was the end of January, thinking, Texas, you know, it's going to be nice. No, it was, uh, it was a huge freeze, and it was just hilarious. There's a whole lot to tell about that story. But uh, that's when I learned that uh, you don't just have shorts and short sleeves in North Texas. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, the music for today is from um, the Eagles, which the Eagles actually have done a lot of political music and 
individually and separately have had some uh, influence in politics. Uh, for example, Don Henley, in 2020, he gave testimony to the United States Congress on his views regarding copyright laws. And uh, he also has done, uh, he, he started the Walden Woods Project to help create, to protect Walden Woods from development. Uh, the Thoreau Institute at Walden Woods was started in 1998 to provide research and education regarding Henry David Thoreau. And there's a complim compilation album titled Common Threads of Songs of the Eagles was released and the royalties went to the Walden Woods Project. Now, uh... The first song that we heard was from their uh, Long Road Out of Eden album, which is one that I had not heard before because it's one of their newer albums. But this next song is from a Joe Walsh album, Songs for a Dying Planet. Joe Walsh, obviously one of the uh, Eagles. And uh, this song is uh, obviously about the planets. Well, here it is, Joe Walsh, Song for a Dying Planet. Listen or care anymore We are living on a dying planet We're killing everything that's alive And anyone who tries to deny it Wears a tie And gets paid to lie so I wrote these songs for a dying planet I'm sorry but I'm telling the truth And for everybody trying to save it These songs are for you too Is there anyone out there Is so powerful to me. Ernest, uh, if you're just joining me, you're listening to Political Musings. My guest today is Ernest Leinberger, and he is running for Texas Congressional U.S. House District 26. 
which is goes across the north side of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, including a good portion of Denton County. Today we're going to talk about what government can do to help the people. Why don't we start there and start with a song about a dying planet and and people caring and people lying about it in suits. <laughs> right. There is so much that needs done, and it's really sad that today's Congress uh, doesn't seem to be able to get any of it done. Uh, they're making a few baby steps here and there to keep us from shutting down, thank goodness. But uh, I think we deserve a budget. I think we deserve a plan. I think we deserve to have uh, Congress that we can count on, that our uh, friends and neighbors across the globe can count on. Uh, when President Biden uh, was first became president early in his term and he was uh, talking to people overseas and he was saying, you know, America's back, we're, we're going to help and support you and, you know, reaffirm NATO and, and other such things. And everyone was, well, that's great. That's awesome. But for how long are, are you going to be back? You know, how long can we can we trust this to to go on? And and it's a real a real concern. So th that's one of the reasons that I'm running, because in this district, uh, there was no one running on the Democrat side. And that's just giving away a seat to this uh, lack of control this lack of ability to form a policy, uh, to to know what is in America's interests. Uh, I really, uh, I don't fear because I think Americans are going to do the right thing. But should President Trump come back in office, he's already told us and he's shown us what, what his concerns are. He, he wants to uh, do things that benefit him and make him look like a big strong man, like stand next to President uh, Vladimir Putin of Russia and act like he's a big guy like him, when, uh, in fact, America is so much bigger than that and needs to be in control. So I just want to restore civility, uh, try to ignore uh, the loud rhetoric that you hear and see where we can find compromise and, and get business done. I'm not going with a huge agenda of we need to do this and this and this. I mean, there are things we need to do, like funding for Ukraine. Uh, one of my big concerns is economic balance in America. Well, I saw a statistic just the other day. 10% of Denton County is food insecure. Now, I don't think 10% of Denton County is unemployed. I think the unemployment rate is around 3 or 4% right now which means there's people out there working that can't afford to meet regular bills. Uh, on the 25th, a couple days from now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be part of the pit count. It's a point in time count where we go and count uh, homeless people out on the street. And there's just too many of them. There are people uh, beyond the capacity of the homeless shelters. I mean, I'm, t I'm not talking about actually having a full-time place to live an apartment, a home, uh, somewhere like that. Once you're already out of that area, then th there are homeless shelters to try to house people, but there aren't even enough of those to cover the, the need. 
And I don't think that Denton County is even one of the worst places uh, because I've seen other populations in other places. So I think overall we need to have a better economic balance so people with jobs can afford to find a place to live, can afford the food they need to eat, can afford their medicine, uh, simple things like that that we need to, to live Well, the economy is going to grow well, too. Did I get off track? Oh, I, you uh, broke up for a second there. You froze and and so uh, couldn't hear what you said toward the end. Can, can you repeat the last bit? Sure. Um, well, I think we have people working and they're, we just need to make sure they can afford what they need for housing, for food, for medicine, you know, the basic essentials. And when we do that, those people are going to have more money that they will be spending. The economy is going to ramp up even further than it has, much like at the end of COVID when a lot of people had money from the different stimulus packages. And we need to make sure that the suppliers ramp up to meet this need. Now, one of the reasons groceries are expensive is they haven't fully ramped up to meet the need. Uh, gasoline uh, is way back down. I was just uh, taking care of some bills from, well, not bills, uh, shredding some old receipts from 2013, and gas was like $3.5 a gallon back then. And right now it's not hard. I mean, if you get it for two seventy, you feel like you're getting ripped off because you can find two fifty somewhere else. Uh, so... Overall, parts of the economy have the prices have come way back down. We just need to make sure the suppliers are working honestly with us on on maintaining enough volume to keep the prices from going up. And like that box of Lucky Charms that you're going for that might now be six dollars when it used to be three fifty or something. Yes, that's that's a punch to the pocketbook, uh, and we need to work with those companies on the prices. Uh, something not related to consumer goods, uh, the price of education. Uh, college tuition has gone up like 20% annually since I went to college. I think uh, when I graduated in 1980, the grand total of tuition expenses for my college was like $28,000. Now, I went to an expensive private school, University of Southern California, but I was fortunate to go on a U.S. Navy scholarship. Uh, but now, I think if you go to a similar school, you might have a cost like that per semester or per year or, or something. It's just really gotten out of control. And I've gotten calls as an alumni saying, hey, would you like to sponsor you know, some scholarships and submit funds? And I'm like, no, I would like the university to use their strength of mind and skills around finance to figure out how we can get more students educated for less money. Uh, I don't think we need to continuously say, well, there's still students, let's raise the price. There's still students, let's raise the price. That That is just unfair to me. Well, and here's the thing. There are... Uh are many countries around the world where secondary education is free and our students 
why are we putting them at a disadvantage? Because yeah. they're coming out of college with the equivalent of of a mortgage in debt. Right. Of, of, of a home mortgage in debt. Uh, in some cases, more, especially if you're going to something like law school or medical school. And yes, your ability to make money has increased. But if you're starting out that much in the hole, well, uh, why? Why when you... Why, when someone from another country had their education fully paid for, and now you're having to compete with them, and they don't have that home mortgage worth of debt? Exactly. But, I was lucky to have mine paid for, and I know my father-in-law, uh, he was just at the, uh, not sure, the tail end of uh, either World War II or the Korean War or something, and, uh, and he was in the Army for a short bit, and he was able to go to the University of Texas uh, for free. And I'm not sure on what kind of plan. It wasn't ROTC or anything, or it might have been GI Bill, or it might have been just maybe a scholarship of some sort. But I think we need a lot more of that, where people can make uh, real careers, real contributions to society. And, you know, even the people that pay for their school and then maybe go and start a business or something, and they, they feel like they're self-made people, they've done everything. There is so much that happens along the way. Like, you don't pay for every road you drive on. You don't pay for every uh, water system that you end up utilizing. Uh, we are supported along the way in so many ways. We shouldn't begrudge support that other people also need. As a, like, I work at Texas Instruments, and I happen to know that our, my company has a policy of importing the uh, brain trust that we need to maintain our business. Uh, we're also working with local universities like uh, is it uh, University of Texas at Dallas might be one of them uh, to have certain uh, career-associated degrees that where people will learn the skills we need for managing semiconductors. Somebody has to know what goes into the building of these things and how you design them and you shape them and the, the rules. And, and then there's the software to program them once they're built. And there is so much that, uh, I mean, maybe in the U.S. we have doctors and nurses and lawyers and, and, and a lot of things, but uh, there are some things that we have to import uh, to get the highest level of uh, knowledgeable people into employ. Well, as I said, we are supplementing today's show with the music of the Eagles, and I want to talk a little bit more about Don Henley's political activism, one of the things that he did was he co-founded the nonprofit Caddo Lake Institute in 1993 with Dwight Shalman and it, it, to underwrite ecological education and re research and to protect Texas wetlands, which is where Don Henley spent a good portion of his childhood in the Caddo Lake area. Caddo Lake is the only natural lake in Texas. All the rest are a Corps of Engineer dammed rivers. 
So, uh, one of the most well-known songs from the Eagles that was also on their um, album Hell Freezes Over, which was called Hell Freezes Over because they swore they would never get back together. And anytime anyone would ask, when are the Eagles going to get back together, Don Henley and Glenn Fry would say, when hell freezes over. So they got back together and they uh, and they call their album and tour when hell freezes over. Now this song is a little so long, so we're not going to hear the whole thing. But here's the Eagles with The Last Resort. She came from Providence, one in Rhode Island, where the old world shadows hang heavy in the air. She packed her hopes and dreams like a refugee, just as her father came across the sea. Heard about a place people were smiling. Spoke about the red man's ways and how they loved the land. They came from everywhere to the great divine, seeking a place to stand for a place to hide. Down in the crowded bars Out for a good time Can't wait to tell you all What it's like up there They call it paradise I don't know why Somebody laid the mountains low While the town got high the desert Through the canyons of the coast To the Malibu Where the pretty people play Hungry for power To light their neon way Getting things to do Some rich men came and Put up a bunch of ugly boxes Jesus, people bought They called it paradise The place to be They watched the hazy sun Sinking in the sea 
that was the Eagles with The Last Resort. That was off their Hotel California album, the most famous, I think, of, of all the Eagles albums. But there's so many issues that are covered in that song. Ernest, what are your thoughts? You know, I don't recognize any of these songs. They're not the ones from my youth, but they definitely have the Eagles feel, and they're just comfortable and I probably should have done a better job of listening to the lyrics, but they're just uh, comfortable, I think, is, is what I like. Okay, so, so The Last Resort talks about people coming from all over. So, talking about immigration, they called it paradise. Um, it's about the environment. It's talking about they they made the mountains low, right? Uh, it, it, they put up all these you know little gray boxes that's in there. So you're talking about immigrant uh, immigration. You're talking it talks about uh, the red man. It, it, so it's talking about Native Americans. It, you're talking about the environment, immigration. Uh, all of these different issues rolled into this one song from 1976 from their most famous album, but it's not the song that everyone, everybody remembers Hotel California. Mm -hmm. I remember I, I was with a friend that I made on, uh, when I was doing the 2010 census and we had, we had been paid canvassers for a state rep candidate in Dallas, driving down LBJ in the the uh, fast lane in the HOV lane, and we accidentally got on this interest ramp that put us on the HOV lane going north up to Plano. And there were no exits from it. We couldn't get off it. So we started, we, we took the song Hotel California and turned it into being about being stuck on the, the HOV to, to Plano. You can get on anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> but, uh, but this song, so, some of those issues in the song about the environment and the border. Let's let's talk about the border and immigration. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, my thoughts are we need to stop having people have so many thoughts on it, and we need to get down to business. I, do, I think everybody's pointing fingers. You're not doing anything. You're not doing enough. You're blocking me from doing my job. You're you know, hey, the biggest problem with the border is this versus that. I think I'm not part of the Border Patrol, and I don't see it day in, day out. But my understanding from what I see on the news, we do have a lot of people coming into the country, some of them with asylum uh, concerns. And the way the laws are written, we need to honor that, which I think is true. You need to honor asylum claims. But we don't have the staffing to do it. And I think we need to make sure we have enough. Uh, if we don't like catch and release, what's the alternative? Then you have to put the people somewhere. Uh, you know, one thought in the last, uh, well, one thing we've been doing 
is saying remain in Mexico. Well, that is not safe. There's been a lot of news documentation of what's going on. Those people are being harmed and exploited and, you know, assaulted. All, all kinds of things are happening. They aren't waiting in a safe place. And we have some places for people to wait or be held, whatever, but not nearly uh, enough to house all the people that are coming. Uh, so we need to have a <clears throat> something to manage the volume. And so catch and release has typically been the plan. You give the people a court date. Unfortunately, the courts are so overwhelmed, it's like three years in the future. So is, you know, I, I need more information on it personally, but can we expand the court system and give people a more timely understanding of what what's going to happen to them? Uh, I know a lot of people come to work and, and they say, I mean, come to America and they want to work. They want to start, you know, earning some money, some so they can send back home, some so they can just afford to be here while they're waiting their turn. And if we don't allow people to work, then you're just adding a lot of burden on society. Uh, I know even probably without uh, the immigration population, we have a lot of people that need support. We talked earlier about food insecurity and, and homelessness. And so anyway, we need to sit down and work at the problem and find out what the real, what factors. Uh, there's a thing in engineering uh, called vector analysis. And like if you have a formula uh, that like uh, has different, mm, what do you call them, uh, factors in the formula, if, mm -hmm. if one of them goes up, like I'll take a very simple one, force equals mass times acceleration. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have the same acceleration, but the mass goes up, then you're going to have more force. Uh, so basically you just say, okay, well, then maybe I want, a less mass with the same acceleration, so I have less force. And, and you can kind of uh, do a vector analysis on how you want things to happen. Well, I'm sure that you, something could be figured out with immigration. And we already know the volume of people has gone up. So what does that do to the other factors? And what factors do we have control of that, that we can you know, increase, like if increasing the courts would help, increasing the border patrol, uh, maybe we need some better fencing, maybe we need, uh, you know, I don't think the majority of the illegal border issues are, are related to fencing, but maybe they are. I know I'm not coming with all the answers. I'm coming with an open mind and a need to get down to business and help figure it out. I'm going to have to bring him on here. Um, Jaime, the uh, campaign manager for Steve Keogh, who's running for U.S. Senate, <clears throat> had him on this show uh, last fall. Jaime came on the other show that I host, um, which is The Intersection. It's on a different network, and it's at nighttime. But he spoke at length about people coming from Central America and what is going on. And one of the things he talked about was that the last pre uh, presidential administration purposely broke our immigration system. 
and defunded things and got rid of we already had a shortage of judges to hear these cases and he cut the number and he he made it much more difficult for people to come here legally uh, and if you're coming here for example seeking asylum that is not illegal but what's been happening with uh, you know with DeSantis and with Abbott is that they have been kidding it now Abbott came out and said well we can't just shoot people because then uh, the Biden administration would prosecute us for murder. Well, yes. But it so would- instead, he just puts out all these very sharp objects and forces people to impale themselves on them as, as they're trying to uh, seek a better life and get away from other dangers. And well, one thing that, that we have been doing as a nation is trying to help the countries that these people are coming from, some of them there's not much you can do. I think Venezuela is one of them that has some very bad internal uh, government issues going on there. Uh, we, we almost got the, well, I, I won't talk too much about what I don't know, but uh, in, in the previous administration, we did a lot of things without concern for the consequences. I was going to say without understanding the consequences, they may or may not have fully understood what they were doing, but without concern, like just just to be big and macho, like canceling the Iran nuclear deal. Mm -hmm. Guess what? That didn't hurt Iran one bit. And they went to faster creation of the nuclear weapons that they wouldn't have that than they would have Um, what they did to the border. It just sickens my soul where they separated children from their families mm-hmm. and didn't even take records. There's some of those children that they're still working very hard to reunite. And mm-hmm. can you imagine a very young child taken away for years? I mean, are they even going to recognize their parents? Are they going to feel safe now? It just ruined lives. And immigration... If you get really, really afraid of immigration, it could be because you had a very bad experience and there was a very bad person came across the border and hurt you. But you have to know there's very bad people already in the United States. And I don't think the ratio of bad people inside the U.S. versus outside is maybe that much different. Uh, especially just the ones that are trying to seek a new life. And there are people who have come across the border and with through the asylum process. And it took years and years, but they started a business. They were paying taxes. They were probably being better citizens than uh, a percentage of Americans. Some of them were paying taxes but not getting the benefits. Right. And, but I think you can point at a million things like, well, they get this benefit or they get that benefit or, or whatever. But if, if we think that in America we're in a, a place of shortage and a place where we can't afford to share and we can't afford to reach out, I, I'm not saying you have to give all your money or give all your house or give all your anything. But I just think that we live in abundance. And for us to just continue to force people down, 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 
that's not how we live in stronger abundance. If, if we bring more people on our team, imagine you're a football team in the playoffs. If you could have 20 people on the field on your side, wouldn't that be better than just 11? And just think what you could do. Okay, that's a ridiculous example. But the more people we have, the better off we can be. When I lived in California, I knew the migrant farmer population was very, very important to the economy there. Those farms would not have existed without those farm workers. And it's true uh, in Texas too. That's yeah. true for Texas too. Um, you know, uh, down in the valley, uh, that's the the garden patch of the state where where they grow um, citrus fruit and they grow all kinds of uh, they grow spinach and they grow all these different things and, and uh, we need those migrant workers there's a there's a song that I've played on this show before when when talking about the border who's gonna build your wall who's gonna build your house mm-hmm Who's, who's going to build that freeway? Uh, that That's mostly migrant labor. And from talking to my late brother-in-law, who had a construction business, but he built pools, swimming pools for homes. Hmm. He, he said, honestly, those uh, immigrants were better workers, more reliable, did a better job. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that's all anecdotal, and it may well be true, but I, I would let each, per, each person, you know, go on their own merits. Uh, sometimes in the United States, we do feel entitled, and like we're entitled to our time off, or we're entitled that we only need to do this much work or, or something. But I do think we should be entitled to a better minimum wage at $7.25 in Texas, I mean, you can work your 2,000 hours a year, and what are you going to have, $14,000? That's I, I would challenge anyone to feel like they lived in abundance at $14,000 a year. And, and one of my pet peeves is that the tipped minimum is still $2.13 an hour. Mm-hmm. Meaning you're waitress. And if, if when, you're, when you're getting your meal... You put that tip on the credit card, guess what? Give them cash because they're going to take their uh, payroll taxes out of that tipped minimum. Mm-hmm. Out of that credit card tip. So get tip in cash because they, they don't necessarily know how much you tipped then. And uh, tip them extra because... Waitresses now sometimes get to the end of the week and have a paycheck of zero dollars or a few pennies because their taxes were taken out of that that two dollars and thirteen cents. Imagine that. Thirty years. That's harsh. That's harsh. Yeah, I've never worked in a in a tipping role. I've always like my. First, one of my first jobs was as a janitor, and that was just cold, dark, dirty work, getting there early and cleaning, and then I traded up for a job pumping gas, cleaning windshields and collecting cash, and that was 
a dirty job, but it was a lot of fun with people coming and going and seeing different people all day, being outside in the in the cold or the rain or the or the beautiful sunshine. Uh, you can't get those kind of jobs anymore because most people pump their own gas. But uh, it it's been a different life as I've gone through different levels. And I remember when I first went to college uh, and went to the, the dorm, and it was very basic accommodations with the group shower down the hall with the with the restroom facilities and the bedroom being just a little teeny tiny two-man room with a countertop for a desk and thinking, you know, I guess my dad did pretty well for us over the years where we always had a nice house and and our bedrooms that we either were individual or shared with with other family. And, and uh, here I was in this dorm that just felt like, I guess it's up to me now to start uh, actually doing well and trying to earn a living so that we too can live in a nicer situation. But unfortunately, everybody doesn't have that capability. Now, I think a lot of people think of Democrats as tax and spend and uh, take my money and give it to somebody who doesn't, doesn't deserve it. Uh, that, that's not really where I'm coming from. I, I don't want to increase taxes on the general population. I, I do want to tr- see how close we can get to a balanced budget. I do want to make sure that we maintain a strong defense and that, that we help people get to their full potential. Uh, and there are people we have to help that, that don't have much capability. But those that do have capability, I think we should respect them more and make sure that, that they get get paid. Well, I was going to, uh, I had a bunch of other songs here listed, but we are getting towards the end of the hour here. And so I think it's very important if people want to support you, they need to know where to find out more. So how do they find you on social media, on the web? What? So there's a Facebook page, uh, Line Burger for U.S. Congress. Line Burger for U.S. Congress. So that's my last name. It's Line, just like you draw with a pencil, L-I-N-E-B-E-R-G-E-R, and then for U.S. Congress. If you take that exact same phrase and you scrunch all the words together, so Lineberger for U.S. Congress, and it's all words, no numbers in there, .com, you will get to my webpage. And there's a lot of information in there. There's links to donate. There's some uh, biography and philosophy of myself, some FAQs, some pictures. And uh, so Lineberger for uscongress.com. And you can go there. You can go to Act Blue and donate. Yes, there's links right. to Act Blue and from that web page. How about finding you on social media? Well, Facebook uh, is probably uh, you can find my Facebook page. Uh, it, it's out there, and that's actually where I'm linked to a lot of the different uh, Democratic clubs in the area. Uh, I know I have a. I've been booked at a lot of events to go visit these different clubs like the Flower Mound Area Democrats and uh, I've been um, to see the Cook County Democrats and and uh, and there's many more. Uh, I'm thinking this, uh, is it the 30th, January 
30th, so that's about a week from tomorrow, there's a great big senatorial, uh, I guess, a candidate meet and greet. I was going to call it a debate, but it's probably a meet and greet. And uh, that's going to be at the Frisco uh, Collin College uh, campus, or I guess I'd say the Collin College campus in Frisco. And uh, I'm going to be there as one of the side candidates. I'm not going to be part of the main thing, but uh, you, you can see me there. But it's basically it. You can go to Facebook and you can look at for my name, Ernest Lineberger. Uh, that'll get you to my personal page. But uh, then you can go to Lineberger for U.S. Congress on Facebook or dot com. All right. Well, we have run out of time once again. It is the end of the hour. So, Ernest, I want to thank you for joining me here. And, of course, you're welcome to show up for the other one anybody wants to come on this program you can contact me through fbrn.us go to the website you can go straight to my page politicalmusings.show that'll take you straight to my page there and of course um, I all of my uh, listeners and and guests are welcome to also join on uh, the intersection, which is on Gabnet. But as I remind everyone, every week, get registered, get informed, get politically active, and go vote. And if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit by me. Now, for our last song of the day, we're skipping some of my favorite ones, some new ones I'd never heard before, because we're going to end with Joe Walsh's Vote For Me. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me. Me. I want to be vice president. If I was vice president, know what I'd do? Pretty much anything I wanted to. Bad in Washington, D.C. Play golf all day with heads of state. If they brought beer, wouldn't that be great? Can't wait. Well, there's an awful lot of issues important to me. Here's my campaign policy.
Democracy, a vote for me. It's